You sound good, look good. Prophetic Presbytery starts tomorrow night, worship night tonight, kind of get us ready. Prophetic uh, Presbytery is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen expressed in church, and it'll be tomorrow night and Tuesday night, so you do not want to miss it. Also have a great opportunity, uh, Coach Brent Deerman, the new football coach at UNA, is spending this whole month before the season starts taking his team to different churches. Uh, he's reached out in August 20th, UNA football will be here in second service. And so we're going to feed them lunch, try to serve them uh, with some great hospitality and just welcome them and loving them. And so if you want to help with that, serving them and hosting them for that lunch, you can text the word behind me, text the word football to 256-670-2860. We're going to cater all the food and all that good stuff. But if you just want to help serve, you can make that happen through that text in. So a lot of good stuff going on. If you have Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 3. We're starting a new series this month. Uh, basically saying how to be brave. We're going to cover how to be brave enough to face the giants that may be standing in your way, how to be brave enough to move forward into your promised land, how to be brave enough to not compromise in culture when culture is trying to force you to compromise. And today we're going to kind of unpack which I believe is most pivotal in order to be brave. Sometimes you have to move backwards before you can move forward. And, you know, I'm not a big movie guy. Like, I don't go to the movies. One, it costs too much money. Two, you know, there's only weirdos that go to the movies. There's too many shootouts at movies. You can't carry a gun in the movies. It's just not a good place for me, right? And so uh, Toy is in this little life stage where the girls are getting ready to go to college. And she's like, last week, she's like, this may be the last time we're all together. I'm like, babe, we got the rest of our lives. Just because they go to college doesn't mean they're leaving us for good. And she's like, we need to go to the movies. So I was not going to go see the Barbie movie. We decide on a Mission Impossible 7. I'm a big Mission Impossible fan, so we, we go. I buy the tickets. It's $124 for five tickets, five drinks, and two popcorns that I cannot eat because RJ poured the whole salt shaker onto the popcorn. So you get dehydrated as soon as you eat it. And then I'm paid for this movie, and I turn over, and, and both the girls are scrolling through Snapchat the entire movie. I paid $125 for them to go through Snapchat. So I, it's, not, it's not a fun experience. I'm, I'm trying to watch the movie, and I'm trying to watch Tom Cruise. You don't know anything about Mission Impossible. It's about Ethan Hunt, who's this, this special trained special agent who continually ends up in bad situations and saves the world, Right? And so he's in another bad situation. He's got to save the world. He doesn't know to trust. And through the movie, he continually has these flashbacks come up in his mind. And these flashbacks are things that happened in his past, happened before he became a special agent or after he became a special agent, traumatic moments of his life, painful moments of his life. Then in the middle of trying to accomplish the objective or to, to save the world, He's dealing with these flashbacks of his past, right? In, in, in movie or story writing, it's called an internal conflict, right? He has this internal conflict between something that's happened in the past and trying to accomplish something currently. And, and I believe as believers, many of us have internal conflicts. And, and my definition for that would be this. It would be when the pain of the past prevents you from truly walking in the promises of the future, so it keeps you stuck in the present, Right? So you're stuck in this moment because I know there's something better or, or I want something more or God has given me this promise or I want to hope for a better future. But then as soon as you start thinking about it, something from the past gets brought back into your mind. 
pain gets brought back into your mind. The what-ifs get brought back into your mind. The sorrows, the griefs, the shame, the guilt, the fear, the failure, the mistakes get brought back right like a filter where you can't even see the promise anymore for these things. It could be as simple as you're starting to walk in a new marriage, but every time you start to trust your new wife or your new spouse or a new girlfriend or boyfriend, the pain of your divorce becomes a filter in which you see everything else. Or the moment you try to take a risk and step out of the promises of God, it feels like there's a flashback of that last time you stepped out and you failed miserably. Or the shame of your past comes up right when you start to be the new you God saved you to be. The shame and guilt of your past becomes this flashback that tries to keep you right where you are. I believe that most believers don't walk in the power and the promises of the future that Jesus shed his blood for you to walk in, not because of something standing in front of you right now, but because something you didn't conquer in your past. And the enemy uses that to keep you right where you are. In Exodus chapter 3, I'm just going to read a couple of verses. This is a story of uh, of Moses at the burning bush. He's been in the wilderness for at least 40 years, wandering as a shepherd, wandering around. He encounters God in this burning bush moment. God begins to speak to him, and God tells him, I want you to go back to Egypt. Right? Egypt is a place for him that's a place of shame. It's a place of guilt, a place of fear. It's a place he ran away from. It's a place of oppression. It's a place of maybe depression for him. And when he encounters God, God literally says, I want you to go backward. And here in, in verse 10, it says this, come, talking to Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. Talking about God, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, most of us would die to have an encounter with God in a burning bush. And Moses has this encounter. God gives him his God-given birth destiny or purpose that I've called you to be a deliverer, and the first thing that happens is Moses starts having flashbacks of Egypt. I, 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 can't, I can't go to Egypt. I'm a wanted man in Egypt. You don't know what I did in Egypt. I can't go back to Egypt. And so Moses starts with this internal conflict where the pain or shame of his past is preventing him from walking into the promises of his future. And he's struggling with it. This Moses, who God is calling a deliverer, has a past of being the oppressor. This Moses who's called to to lead the people is walking in the shame of this murder. How can the murderer become the deliverer? And he walks through this conflict because for 40 years he'd wandered around the wilderness, wandering around the promise, not walking in the promise, because he was so traumatized by his past, he didn't think God had anything more for him. He couldn't imagine God using him. He couldn't imagine God fulfilling promises to him and through him. He couldn't imagine God having something better than him just wandering around in his shame and his guilt for the rest of his entire life. I don't know what all he dealt with, but I know as Moses hears this guy who was abandoned as a child into the river, so maybe he had some adoption issues. He grew up in Pharaoh's house, yet he was Hebrew, so maybe he had some some identity issues. 
He killed a man who was, who was fighting another man. And so he has maybe some guilt issues, some anger issues. And he has these issues. And before God can use him, he has to take him backward to start dealing with some of these issues. And so I don't know about you, but my family tree is not the cleanest of all trees. You say, well, yeah, pastor, you're a pastor. No, I think everybody has a past. And if you're not careful, you'll let that past define you instead of letting God define you. And Moses is in this conflict, and I think he's unaware of the trauma he's had in his past has begun to shape him and mold him. And as soon as he meets God and God calls him up, he tries to call himself back. And there's so many people that I've seen encounter God where they get saved, they give their life to Jesus, and he begins to call them up and call them out. And they begin preaching to themselves, trying to call themselves back into what they used to be. And God never calls you into your past self. He calls you into your new self. And here's Moses. Here's what one person said. These are five signs of unresolved trauma or conflict or internal conflict that may be the root of your anxiety. That it's amazing in a culture, there's so much anxiety out there. And I think it's because it's attached to our soul. One is the inability to trust. You know, when you've been hurt in the past, maybe childhood trauma or maybe somebody abused you or maybe somebody mistreated you, you have the inability to trust people today, which is understandable. If somebody broke your trust, it's hard to trust somebody new. Intimacy troubles, because intimacy requires trust. You can't connect with people or even connect with God because you don't trust anybody because there's this unresolved conflict inside of you that every time you want to trust God, the past comes back up and tells you not to trust Anybody. Lack of motivation. That you're not motivated to walk with Jesus because you're so hurt from the past you can't move forward. Or hypersensitivity. Where you're so sensitive. You're the person no one else wants to be around because no matter what they say, you get offended. Why? Because you're carrying this pain and it becomes your filter. That anytime somebody says anything or does anything, it triggers you because you're looking at life through this filter of pain, shame, and guilt inside your soul. And you say, well, pastor, I got saved. Shouldn't that stuff go away? No, when you get saved, your spirit is made new, but you still got the same soul. Your spirit gets transformed into this new spirit, but your soul has to be healed and delivered of the trauma of the past. And that's why Christians, I heard John Gordon, great teacher and motivational speaker, said this. He said he couldn't figure out why Christians in the world dealt with the same problems. He couldn't, he couldn't figure out why Christians deal with the same anxiety problems and frustration problems and sin problems and alcohol problems and all these things. He says if Christians have given their lives to Jesus and got a new life and a new spirit, why do they deal with the same problems everybody else deals with? And he said it's because you get a new spirit, but your soul has had this hole in it. And if you don't let Jesus have access to your soul, we all want to go to heaven, but we don't want Jesus to get a hold of our soul, you're still going to have that same soul, and you're going to look to fill it or, or massage it or numb it with the same things the world uses. Success and chasing accomplishments, trying to help somebody say you're good enough, alcohol to numb it or to fill it, sex or carnality so somebody can make you feel good for the moment and close that wound for a moment. You look at all the drugs and, and movies and entertainment and all the stuff the world uses, the church uses. Because we're unwilling, we're not brave enough 
to allow God to have access to our broken, wounded, shameful, guilty, hurting places. And so it's interesting to me that before Moses can walk out his purpose as a deliverer, God's commandment to him is to go backward, to go backward, to go back to his pain, to go back to his shame, to go back to his guilt, to go back to his trauma, to go back to the place he's been running away from for 40 years, to go back. And Moses goes, but he thought he was going to be the deliverer of the people. Moses literally thought, I'm going to go and deliver these people. What he did not know was that as he went to deliver the people, God was actually going to deliver him. God was finally going to deliver Moses of that past that he's the oppressor. And he goes back into Egypt, has to confront Pharaoh, which represents his family dynamic. He was raised in Pharaoh's home. He goes back to his family lineages and says, let my people go. And as he's saying, let my people go, he's actually saying, let me go. I'm no longer the oppressor. I'm now the deliverer. He goes back to Egypt, which is the culture that raised him in a place of pain and shame. He doesn't go back as the broken little boy anymore. Now he goes back as the God-called and God-ordained man of God that he is. The only thing different with most of us is when we go through those things when we're growing up in our childhood or teenage years, even young adult age, we go through it by ourselves. We go through isolation, we go through hurt, we go through pain, we go through shame, we go through guilt by ourselves. But in this scripture, this is what God says. This time it's going to be different. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children out of Egypt, out of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. See, the difference between us and the world is that when we need healing for our soul, we have somebody who can go with us that knows our soul and can bring healing and deliverance to the broken places of our soul to bring life out of dead places. And this time as Moses go back, he doesn't go back on his own. He goes back with God. The problem with many of us is we don't trust God enough to let him go with us backward. We don't trust him enough to let him into those places that nobody else has been into. And the reason is our perspective of God is filtered through our pain instead of through the characteristics, goodness, and faithfulness of God. And when you see God through your pain, when you see God through your shame, he will always look like the oppressor. He will always look like the cause. He will always look like the abuser. But when you view your circumstances and God through his goodness, he is always good. Nisi said it. He's always faithful. He's always been good. He's always loving. He's always merciful. He's always holy. He's never not been God. My pain doesn't change who God is. And when I see him for who he is, then I can trust him to give me the courage and the bravery to go backwards to solve those broken areas of my soul. Because I think in order to be brave, the bravest thing you can do is to go back to the broken places and let God heal you in those broken places. Because in order to be brave, sometimes you have to go backwards before you can go forwards. You have to go back to Egypt so you can walk into the promised land. You have to go back to your childhood to find some healing there so you can be the mom or dad or the grandparent that God has called you to be. Sometimes you go back to your shame so you can be delivered to get a new name. Sometimes going back is the bravest thing you can do. But it's hard. 
Somebody said, Diane Satterfield said it this way. Sometimes when you open the door to the past, what you confront is your destiny. And the enemy knows that. Because here's what we do as believers. We get saved. We just want to forget everything. The problem is your, your past, even though your sins have been forgiven, your past has still shaped you. This is why Paul said, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation out of your spirit into your soul, into your mind, into your actions, so you can have the freedom Jesus paid for you to have. And the enemy knows that once you start finding deliverance, you'll become free. So he begins to lie to you to keep you in the pain of your past. The enemy will find an anchor point in every single believer, either a point of shame, a point of guilt, a point of sin, a point of fear, a point of anxiety, a point of abuse, a point of trauma, and he will grab a hold of that. And every time you start to make a step forward, he'll just tug on it just a little bit. And when he tugs on it, that pain comes back up. And it prevents you from knocking on the door to begin walking your destiny. Some of the lies he will tell you, i got some here. Satan will lie to you. And he will tell you, you will never get past this emotion that past event, your pain, your shame, your fear, your guilt, or your grief, etc. He'll tell you, you'll always feel like this. You'll always be like this. This pain, get used to it because it's never going away. But what Peter said is, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What he's saying is, I know it hurts, but it's only going to hurt for a little while until the God of glory and his grace brings healing to your soul. Satan also tell you that God doesn't care about your emotions. He doesn't care about your stress. He doesn't care about your anxiety. He doesn't care about your pain. He doesn't care about your emotions. But Peter again says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your what? Souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is Light. Satan also tell you that God can't be good because he calls this confusion and emotional trauma that you experienced. This, this is deconstruction. This is what we see in culture today that, well, if God was good, I wouldn't have went through this. And well, God is good, then why is this happening? If God is good, why is there injustice? If God is good, why is there suffering? But in Genesis, this is Joseph who had went through hell and high water, said, as for you, talking about his brothers, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Next one is the trauma you experience is your fault. And you will forever live with it. But 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Satan is a liar. And until you realize that he's a liar, you'll understand he always lies to keep you in your current state of pain or shame. God always tells you the truth to give you a way out of your pain and a way out of your shame into his glory 
so that other people can see his grace is sufficient. And so he's always on. But then after you, you go back, you, sometimes what you really need to do to change your current circumstances is to confront your past. And I know that sounds awkward, but many of us go through these cycles. I can tell you, the staff can tell you, elders can tell you, we see the cycles all the time. People do good, and they fade back. They do good, and they fade back. They serve Jesus, and they fade away. They love God, and they fade away. And usually it's the people that catch on fire the quickest are the ones that burn out the first. And the reason for that is they, they encounter Jesus, they come, encounter his presence, and they say a prayer, and they think it's done with. But they're unwilling to confront their past. They just want Jesus to take their past away. And so they're unwilling to confront their past. And when you're unwilling to confront your past, you will repeat your past. Because only by confronting your demons can you overcome them. Only by confronting your shame can you overcome it. Only by confronting Pharaoh can you be delivered from Pharaoh. And as you do, you begin to experience the deliverance of your soul. And what I'm saying is, when you confront your past, don't try to justify what you've been through. Well, you know, it's because my dad did this, my mom did this, and you begin to justify. You can't, be, you can't overcome something that you justify. Or you try to victimize. Well, it's because this, this, and you, I'm always going to be like this, and I'm just a And you victimize yourself. You can never be the victim and the overcomer at the same time. Oh, I'm trying to victimize. Or you try to minimize it. Well, it really wasn't that big of a deal. My past is my past. Everybody has a past. You try to minimize it. No, your past shapes you. It shapes how you see people. It shapes your relationships. And so when you confront your past, don't justify it. Don't minimize it. Don't victimize it understand it and learn from it and grow from it so that you can overcome it. So when you confront your past, which is difficult enough as it is, seek to, I'm going to try to understand what really happened in my childhood. I'm going to try to understand what happened with my parents. I'm going to try to understand what happened to those years of life where I wasn't serving God. And I'm going to try to grow from it. What lessons can I learn through these situations and through this season? So that way I can overcome it. I don't go back through that season ever again. Well, pastor, how do I do that? I think there's three really quick ways. One, you explore your past. Right? As, as American Christians, we don't do much self-exploration. We're so consumed with social media and, and consumerism and all these things that we never quite explore who we truly are in Christ. We never sit at the feet of Jesus and let him tell us who we are. And I would say explore your past past. I went, that's probably four or five years ago now, I do a, a prayer retreat every year where I get away and I pray th for you, for our church, for the elders, for the staff, and I ask God for direction for the next 12 months. A couple years ago I did that in Chattanooga. My mom's brother is in Chattanooga, lives in Lookout Mountain. I was going, I, did, I hadn't talked to him in almost 20 some odd years, and I, I slipped up in my cousin's DMs, said him his phone number, said, hey, I'm going to be in Chattanooga, do you think I can meet with your dad? He said, man, he would love that. And I'd go over there, and I thought we were just going to have dinner. And I started asking questions about my family lineage, which, you know, there's Jerry Springer, and then there's like Jerry Springer, the uncensored version. I got the uncensored version, right? And so my uncle started sharing details with me 
about my grandparents, about my mom, about my aunt, about my himself. And I started seeing this big picture, and I started seeing patterns from my grandparents. They were trying to manifest in my life. And as I started exploring my past, I realized who I am is connected to who my parents and grandparents were. And I began to explore it. It was difficult. There were things I heard I did not want to hear. There are things that, that I thought really highly of my grandfather passed away when I was in fifth grade that changed my perception of him somewhat, but I had to explore. Secondly, you confront your past through prayer, where you literally sit in prayer. Prayer, I've been talking to RJ about prayer. Prayer is not just, God bless this food in our bodies, we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Prayer is resting in the presence of God. It's aligning your heart with his heart. And it's allowing him to lead you and guide you, not just through life, but through your inner life. And so sometimes in prayer, you need to process some things that have happened. That's why you can cast your anxieties on him. You can cast your cares upon him. You can cast your sin on him. You can cast your shame on him. You can cast your fears on him. But a couple of years ago or a year ago, I, I spent like a whole day praying. And when I was praying, I was literally going through my timeline of my life with God. From my earliest memories, my earliest trauma, my earliest pain, my earliest shame, all these moments, and I walked through those with God, and one, I felt like he gave me grace on those moments for healing, but also I looked back and I saw his grace in my life, even in those bad moments, where I had this Joseph-type moment that even though they may have meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And what I do, I confronted my past with Jesus going back with me. And it may be for you, you confront your past through counseling, where you sit down with a counselor and let them tap into your soul to help you process and reframe what has happened to you so you can finally overcome your past. Because as you look at your past, here's what you have to do. You have to leave the past in the past. You can't bring it with you. You can bring the lessons with you, but don't bring the pain of the past with you. The reason so many families in America are broken is because no one is willing to finally stop and keep the past from repeating itself. What we are seeing is a repetition of trauma that's transferred from one generation to the next because no one is brave enough to draw a line in the sand and say, it may have happened to me, but it is over my dead body. It's not happening to my kids. The reason there's so much anxiety in America is because no one is brave enough to move on from their past trauma. No one is brave enough to move on from their past shame. We want to suppress it and hide it on the inside of us. And I'll tell you, anything you suppress will manifest. Anything you try to hide will grow. Anything you try to cover up will be exposed. It may not affect you, but it will affect those around you. That's what generational curses are. We, we're so, we try to spiritualize everything from, from our past. And, 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 well, you know, these spiritual, these generational curses, I'm breaking them. And there's a part of that. But this is what it, if you carry the same bricks with you from your past, you'll end up building the same house. That's a generational curse. If you bring the same bricks with you, that your parents used to build your house growing up, you're going to build the exact same house for your kids growing up. 
If you bring the same bricks with you that your parents used to build their marriage, you're going to build the same marriage for yourself and for your kids. If you bring the same bricks with you from your emotional junk, your kids are going to live in the same emotional junk. It's a principle that whatever you bring with you, you will share with somebody else. That's a generational curse. And what's, what's incredible to me is the Bible gives us so many principles, so many principles and tools and weapons to prevent the past from repeating itself. Jesus gives us so many principles that find freedom and deliverance, yet so many people don't use them. Well, why? Because we bought into the lie that all you got to do is raise your hand and say yes to Jesus and everything's going to be okay. You know what? When you give your life to Jesus, you may walk from here into heaven, but you're going to walk from here through hell on earth until you get to heaven. And that's not why Jesus died. Yes, he died so you can spend eternity with heaven, but he wants you to experience heaven on earth right now. And it happens through deliverance and healing and freedom that where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom, but only for those brave enough to let the Spirit of the Lord inside of them. One person said this, trauma in a person decontextualized over time looks like personality. Trauma in a family decontextualized over time looks like family traits. And trauma in a people decontextualized over time looks like culture. Meaning what you bring with you, your kids will end up having to carry for you. And for me and Joy, we've had this conversation a lot. Like I don't want my kids carrying the junk that I've been through. But whatever I don't leave in Egypt, my kids will carry with them through the wilderness. And whatever they don't leave in the wilderness, they will carry with them into their promised land. And so some of the tools that, that Jesus gives us for deliverance, and deliverance is just this process of continually cutting the ties to my past sin and shame and pain and fear and worry. That's what del deliverance isn't just, you know, casting out demons. It's cutting ties. It's cutting ties with the enemy. It's cutting ties with my sin. It's cutting ties with my shame. It's cutting ties with my pain. It's cutting ties. Because what if you don't cut ties with it, it stays attached to you. And it becomes this anchor point that as you try to walk out life, it keeps slowing you and dragging you on. One is repentance. Repentance simply cuts the ties to your past identity and behavior and shame. When you truly repent, it's a, it's a mind shift where you're cutting ties from your pain and your shame and your identity of the past. Where people, you know, well, I knew Bobby back in the day. No, you, didn't, you don't know me. You knew that, Bobby. I repented. There's a change of thought. Confession cuts ties with our past sins and guilt. And when you confess your sin, one of the reasons we have so much anxiety and shame in America and in the church is because we don't want to truly confess our sin. We want forgiveness. But when, the more specific you are in your confession, the more specific you are in your forgiveness and your mercy. Meaning when you can go through, God, I'm so sorry, I did this and I did, and you start getting specific with God, you get specific freedom. But when it's generic that, that oh, God, just forgive me my sin. I'm a sinner, forgive me my sin. What happens is you never actually truly cut ties because you don't feel free because it's so generic, you don't know if it actually stuck or not. Forgiveness cuts ties with our past offenses. People that betrayed you, people that hurt you, people that offended you. When you offer forgiveness, it cuts ties from that poison from filtering into your current situation. Renouncing cuts ties with promises or covenants you've made with the enemy to protect yourself from going through the same pain or trauma again. 
So what is that? What's a covenant? It means when you get hurt, some people, they go through a bad divorce or a bad marriage or a bad relationship, and they say, I will never be hurt like that again. You know what you just did? You made a covenant with the enemy to protect you from ever being loved again. And in that covenant, not only do you not get hurt again, you never get loved again. And when you renounce those things, you renounce them so that now God can give you his promises and his freedom he wants to give you. Lamenting cuts ties with past disappointments. Jeremiah wrote a whole book on weeping and lamenting. Why? We go through junk in life that is sorrowful. We go through disappointments. We go through sorrow. And crying is a release of the soul. Grieving is when you cut ties with your past sorrows. Like one of the worst things in American culture is the way we grieve lost loved ones. We want to put our best face forward and just go through the motions. If you go anywhere else in the world, when they grieve, they grieve. And when they grieve, they expedite, expedite the healing process from, you know, three days to like six months. In America, the grieving process lasts a lifetime. You know why? We never let our souls purge of the pain of the soul. Releasing is when you release yourself, you cut ties with the past responsibility that what happened was all your fault. And I release myself. That when I did those things, I didn't know any better. I was being led by the enemy. I released myself from the guilt and shame of my past. And what happens is when you do, you prevent that stuff from moving forward in your life. Because here's the truth. Whatever you don't cut ties with will follow you. Moses, I don't know what all he dealt with. He dealt with anger for sure. He killed a man. He was angry. He goes back into Egypt. He delivers the Hebrews out of Egypt. They walk through the, 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 Red, the, the Red Sea, almost said the Dead Sea, the Red Sea on dry ground. They walk into the wilderness. He's leading them. And continually you'll see this happen. Moses in his frustration gets mad at the people and mad at God. Till finally, God tells him the people are complaining. We need water. We need water. We better be in Egypt. And God tells him, speak to the rock so that water will come forth. And Moses goes to the rock. Instead of speaking to it in his anger or his frustration, he strikes the rock. And then God says, since you disobeyed me or rebelled against me, now you don't get to walk in the promises that I promised you. Why? Because he didn't cut ties with the anger that was holding him back his entire life. See, you can be set free and still carry stuff with you. And what's even worse is the whole generation of Moses didn't walk into the promised land because they didn't cut ties with Egypt. And so I believe what God is saying is if you want to walk into your future, if you want to have the courage to walk into your promises, if you want the courage to walk into your freedom, if you want the courage to walk into your destiny, you have to be brave enough to go back to whatever your Egypt may be and begin to cut ties with some things that have been holding you back. Because if you don't, they will prevent you from walking into your purpose, but also they will begin to affect your family for generations to come. And once you do begin to cut ties, then you move forward in boldness and in courage. As Dr. King said, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, keep moving forward. Keep 
moving forward. So, Pastor, how do I do that? You move forward by going back, confronting your Pharaoh, confronting your past, beginning to cut ties with your shame. It's like this. All of us inside of our, if you could see your soul, your soul probably has some of these things in there. Past offenses where people betrayed you or hurt you. Past pain from trauma or childhood junk. Past sorrows, disappointments, and failures and mistakes. Past responsibilities where you started blaming yourself and taking responsibility for your own junk. Past disappointments, past sins and guilt. Those are in your soul. Just because you plead the blood of Jesus over you does not get these things out of your soul. It gives you a new spirit to work with, but it's up to you to begin to cut ties. And so how do I cut ties with my past offenses? It's the most basic principle in Christianity. If you forgive others, I'll forgive you. How do I do that? When I forgive other people, it literally relieves me of my past offenses. They may carry it. They can carry whatever they want to carry. We ain't talking about them. We're talking about us. Maybe for you it's past pain. Well, how do I get rid of that past pain? Well, I confront it. Maybe it's I, 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 I lament and it, I, I cry, I weep out, and I ask God to heal it. And as I do, I cut ties with it. Maybe for you it's past sorrows, past grief that you've been dealing with. I, I see so many people who can't love today because they're so caught up in a broken heart from yesterday. Well, how do I begin to heal and cut ties with that, that sorrow, that grief? The grieving, Jesus literally says, blessed are those who grieve, for he will be with you. So when I cut those ties, it relieves me of the pain so I can see clearly in the current situation. Past responsibilities, what I do, I renounce and give my responsibility away that I'm a new creation in Christ. Whatever happened to me is not my fault, it's their fault. Past disappointments, lamenting is one of the greatest gifts ever. Just cry out to the Lord that, God, I'm broken, this hurts, and what he does, he brings healing. Past sins and guilt, you finally actually confess your sins. Where instead of some blanket religious statement to make you feel good for the day, I begin cutting ties with my lust, and I tell God, God, forgive me my lust when I do this. I know it hurts your heart. I need to be forgiven. I confess this. God, I confess my greed. God, I confess. When you get specific with God, he'll get specific with you. But the problem is, in the Bible Belt, we'd much rather be religious than free. We'd much rather be religious than free. And as your pastor, I'd much rather you be free than religious. So I just want everybody to stand to your feet all in the room. Here's what we're going to do. This is a simple deliverance exercise. And this is going to mess with your religion just a little bit. But I'm going to go back through those tools. And if there's things you need to cut loose, maybe it's repentance, you need to cut ties with your past identity. Maybe for you it's confession of sin, you need to cut ties with some sin in your life that's been kind of poking back up. Maybe for you it's forgiveness, you need to cut ties with past pain, past offenses. Maybe it's renouncing, cutting ties of promises you've made to the enemy to protect your covenants that you've made. Lamenting, maybe you need to lament and cry out to God to relieve you of the past disappointments. Maybe for you it's grief. Maybe you need to finally grieve from the past losses that you faced. Maybe for you it's releasing yourself from blaming yourself for your pain and your situation that you're in. 
They're going to go into a song. What I'm going to do, I'm going to call these out one by one. And this is you, just like Moses had to take a step and go back. I'm going to call you to take a step out of your seat and come forward. And be specific with God. So God can be specific with you. And start the process. It may not be the complete process, but deliverance is a continual process of cutting ties with the past. So you can walk in the freedom of the future. And maybe for some of you, maybe you need to go on and do an exploration of your soul. Maybe for some of you need to go on a prayer journey. Maybe some of you need to go to counseling. But this is the beginning of the process. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your mercies, for your grace, for your power. And Father, right now, let's pray for a spirit of deliverance in this room. In the mighty name of Jesus, that every stronghold, every generational curse, every sin that clings closely, every bit of anxiety that oppresses and enslaves, every bit of fear, every bit of sorrow and pain and trauma that's held your people back. Father, I'm praying for a spirit of deliverance in this room. That in the name of Jesus, every head shall be lifted up. Every heart shall be made whole. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Every demon shall flee. At the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe for you it's repentance. So you know what? I need to repent. I need to cut ties with some past identity. That's you. I'm going to say step out and come forward and begin that journey with Jesus. Maybe for some of you it's confession. Maybe you've been generic with God, but you haven't been specific and you don't feel forgiven. You don't feel forgiven because you haven't confessed your sin. Maybe for some of you it's forgiveness. Even as I speak on forgiveness, people's names come up and pain comes out. It's time to cut ties. Maybe for you it's renouncing those past promises or covenants. Maybe for you it's lamenting. Maybe for you it's grieving. Maybe for you it's releasing. But it takes bravery to confront the past, to walk in the freedom of the future.
power in your hands you have given me. Oh, a second chance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Things are made new. Surrendered my life to Christ. I'm moving. I'm not going back. I'm moving ahead. I'm here to declare to you. My past is over to you. All things are made new. Surrendered my life to Christ. I'm moving. with your promises, with your peace. I pray it's the beginning of freedom, the beginning of walking out, the broken generational curses, the regenerational blessings in the people's lives. So we pray that in all things you receive glory, praise, and honor in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Give the Lord a big round of applause real quick.